Show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. And a great day to look at the responsibility facing the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, and our elected representatives in Washington, D.C. What kind of special message needs to be sent to those individuals? And they, they need to send back to the waiting world. It's a message about what the United States really is and the importance of the United States to the rest of the world, not just the Americans who live here. Sure, America first, but not America only. And the idea that uh, Congress goes home while Ukrainians are running out of shells to uh, basically counteract the uh, Russian invasion, this is a very, very serious matter. And it's a matter in which, uh, honestly, if you think about Republican heroes of the past, heroes like uh, Ronald Reagan, or other Republicans who have represented the party effectively and well in the White House, like President George Herbert Walker Bush or President George W. Bush, and other White House nominees, people like John McCain uh, or Mitt Romney. The, the idea of walking away from NATO, of walking away from uh, an attack on liberty itself, it's, it's just astonishing, and it makes the Republican Party increasingly unrecognizable and unviable for most Americans who do not agree with, uh, oh, J.D. Vance, the uh, senator from Ohio, who has become a uh, very leading advocate for basically destroying Ukraine and destroying any hope that Ukraine will align itself as it wants to with the West uh, or continue its existence as an independent, uh, democratic-based nation. There's a, um, a very persuasive piece by uh, William Galston that appears in the Wall Street Journal today and uh, the headline is, Ukraine's fate rests on Speaker Johnson. Uh, and uh, it begins by, by saying, in a better world, the murder of Alexei Navalny would bring House Republicans to their senses. But many of them don't even care what happens to Ukraine or I fret to Europe. As far as they're concerned, Europe imposes costs on the United States without providing compensating benefits. And the North Atlantic Treaty Organization calls on the U.S. to assume risks inconsistent with its national interest. Uh, Donald Trump, the all-time, uh, all-but-certain Republican presidential nominee, writes Galston, has made clear that he has no intention of honoring the commitment of the U.S. Uh, to uh, back NATO when it signed the NATO Charter, including the defense of other members who come under attack. If he won't do what membership requires, it won't matter whether he formally withdraws from the alliance. And then he writes this, which is 
it, it is just so very striking. According to a report in the New York Times last week, shortly after Mr. Trump took office in 2017, advisors explained to him uh, America's obligations under NATO's treaty. Trump said, you mean if Russia attacked Lithuania, we would go to war with Russia? That's crazy. Uh, no, it isn't, Mr. President. That's what William Galston writes. But it looks crazy if you have no moral compass, don't care about the difference between democracy and dictatorship, uh, and are willing to accept the prospect of a Europe under Moscow's thumb. The, U the U.S. has worked for three quarters of a century under presidents of both parties to help Europe remain safe and free. Now one ignorant, amoral demagogue has persuaded a majority of one party that this effort is a mistake. A great tragedy is in the making unless leaders in both parties can find a way to thwart him. Uh, this begins with aid for Ukraine. Ukrainian troops are dangerously short of weapons and ammunition. Days ago, they were forced to abandon the city of Avdivka, uh, the site of ferocious fighting for months. A local commander reported the Russians were firing 10 artillery shells for every one that the Ukrainian forces had left. This is an emergency to which the House responded characteristically. How? Uh, by leaving town. That's what they do best. When it reconvenes, Speaker Mike Johnson will face a career-defining decision. Will he work with supporters of Ukraine in both political parties to pass aid for that beleaguered country? Or will he follow the path of least resistance and allow the measure to die? Now, the question here becomes, this aid passed the Senate three to one. It was bipartisan. So what is the problem in the House? The problem in the House is what people call the Hastert Rule, which is that even if there is a clear House majority that exists from both parties, unless there is a majority inside the Republican Party, uh, then the Speaker isn't supposed to allow a vote to come to the floor. And if they vote on Ukraine and Israel aid, uh, doesn't uh, go to the floor, doesn't get to the floor, and doesn't pass, we're talking about a foreign policy disaster that would punish the entire world, frankly, but would punish our country and our position. And uh, the whole idea that uh, basically that should uh, not uh, impact the decision to actually perhaps risk his speakership by doing the right thing. Uh, William Goldston concludes, no doubt uh, this would trigger if he goes ahead and allows a vote on the House floor, which a majority of members of the House want. If you take all of the Democrats and very close to half of the Republicans, that's a very clear majority of the House. But no doubt a vote like this would trigger an attempt by some Republicans to do to Mr. Johnson what they did to Kevin McCarthy four months ago. But if the current speaker is willing to stay the course, 
Minority leader Hakeem Jeffries should free up enough Democratic votes for Mr. Johnson to withstand a challenge to his leadership, while giving Kiev what it needs to survive. Mr. Johnson must take a risk, but he shouldn't have to commit political suicide to do the right thing. Uh, uh, powerful words. Uh, there is coming up next a, a basic decision for a very prominent Republican. Should she stay or should she go? Who are we talking about? Nikki Haley. There is a note to Nikki from a, a powerful Republican thinker and, uh, and communicator. And uh, the note says, keep on keeping on. And to what purpose exactly? Uh, we will consider that note to Nikki and, uh, and more. Plus, um, Frank Luntz and his opinion, the master of public opinion and of focus groups across the country uh, about uh, those who are the most uh, devoted allies of uh, President Trump becoming mortal enemies. How does that work exactly? And Joe Manchin weighs in, weighs in on the presidential race where he will not be a candidate, but he has his opinions. We'll be getting to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? And that may be the uh, assuming that she loses in the South Carolina primary. As everyone expects, the polls all indicate it. That primary is coming up this weekend. The uh, vote in South Carolina is on Saturday. And then uh, we march on toward Super Tuesday on March 5th. It's amazing how quickly this entire election campaign is unfolding. Uh, should I say or should I go? Yes, that's the question for Nikki Haley. Uh, Haley reiterated that she will stay in the race beyond the South Carolina primary that occurs on Saturday during an emotional speech in Greenville, South Carolina yesterday. Haley repeatedly lambasted both Biden and Trump, tying the two old men together on several issues, notably age and foreign policy. Uh, the former ambassador started to tear up toward the end of her address. Why? When discussing her husband, Major Mark Michael Haley, uh, who has been serving in Djibouti since June and has been verbally attacked by Trump, it, uh, uh, it was a rare moment of raw emotion from Haley, who was otherwise a steady on the campaign trail. Um, many Haley allies want her to keep running until the Republican convention uh, in uh, July. Uh, this is what Abby Phillip on uh, CNN uh, discussed with, uh, with Frank Luntz, a uh, Republican pollster and focus group master who uh, also reports to uh, CNN. This is clip 15. So when she says, We're... when she says, Frank, that she's going to stay in until the last vote is counted, 
How much of that calculation is about just staying in the race to be a failsafe if something were to happen and Trump gets convicted of a crime? There are a lot of people who think that's the reason. And I know that Nikki Haley uh, has future ambitions. And I think that uh, actually I think that she may be hurting herself. Now, make no mistake, there are significant forces just outside the mainstream of the GOP that does not want Trump and is looking for an alternative. But I, as a pollster who's been doing this now for more than three decades, I see no evidence whatsoever that Nikki Haley is going to be a significant force in the 2024 election. Okay, and what he's talking about is contradicting uh, some of the reports in a great deal of the polling. Uh, the reports in a great deal of the polling show that if President Trump is convicted of a crime, and that's the way they ask the question, if he is convicted of a crime, would you be reluctant to support him for president? And uh, a significant number of Republicans, uh, ranging between 8%, which is a very significant number in this regard, uh, or much more, according to some polls, say no, they would not support Trump if he were convicted of a crime. But in an election that everyone expects is going to be relatively close, there are no wipeouts uh, being predicted in any of the polls. If that election is significantly close, whatever the focus groups show right now, if uh, one of the crimes shows the conviction of Donald Trump, even if it's this most recent uh, trial that is barreling right toward us, that is going to get started in March, the uh, hush money for porn stars, if President Trump is convicted on that one, I mean, some of this, he says it's all political, that all of this is just against him because he is running for president again. Uh, but really? Really? Uh, here's more Frank Luntz speaking about Nikki Haley, saying she won't kiss the ring. Uh, this is uh, clip 17. Donald Trump forgives. And people who were his mortal enemy become his strongest ally Weeks later, and those who were his strongest allies become mortal enemies weeks later. There's no predicting this. You have to go back to 2012, the last time that a presidential candidate did not drop out when the numbers were clearly against him, and that was Ron Paul, who did manage to get a significant number of delegates, but nowhere near the number that he would need. And it's pretty clear that Nikki Haley isn't going to do the same thing. Now, I look at this in two ways. Number one, it's her right to do so. It's her right to challenge him. And there are about 20 or 25 percent of the Republican Party that still does not want and is never Trump. But on the other hand, in every single poll, bar none, Donald Trump is winning not just a majority, but a supermajority of Republicans. And then Nikki Haley seems to only be drawing among independents, moderates, centrists, those that do not occupy the center of the Republican Party. And uh, that that being the argument that uh, she could become one of Trump's closest allies after uh, everything that has passed between them, after Bird Brain, what do you do? You <laughs> retire the nickname Bird Brain? Uh, 
the uh, I do think it's very telling that President Trump did mention Ron DeSantis, who also was a former competitor whose uh, endorsement of Trump was a bit half-hearted, it seemed. Uh, but it, it's very difficult to imagine last night after going through and naming six different possible uh, running mates, including people who had run against him, like Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis, uh, no mention of uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, last night, uh, Nikki Haley uh, became overwhelmed by emotion when she was talking about her husband. One of the things that Trump had said in uh, in one of the lesser moments of his campaign uh, was basically questioning the nature of their relationship. Where's the husband? Where is he? Wouldn't you expect him to be here to help his wife? Wouldn't you expect him to be here to campaign alongside her? Here was uh, Nikki Haley last night. I wish Michael was here today. And I wish our children. And I could see him tonight, but we can't. He's serving on the other side of the world, where conflict is the norm, where terrorists hide among the innocent, where Iran's terrorist proxies are now attacking American troops. And uh, yes, her husband, Major Michael Haley, has uh, been a very devoted husband and um, a being someone who is also devoted to serving his country. Uh, the, the idea that this should become an issue in the campaign, it's sad. Uh, and speaking of issues in the campaign, uh, Joe Manchin has some advice for the nation at large and the border crisis and uh, some advice for President Biden. What is it? We will get to that coming up on the Medvet Show. Here's a special. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, there is a note to Nikki. Uh, we just listened to... Uh, Nikki Haley, the former ambassador to the United Nations, getting uh, very emotional when she was talking about her husband, who has been directly attacked uh, by President Trump and by some of President Trump's uh, supporters. Uh, before we get back to the Nikki Haley aspect of things, there is a new polling news that should honestly cheer the... Uh, of the uh, spirits of any Republican in the country. And uh, really, really good news, which is incredible. Uh, there's a new Maryland Senate poll. And it's a poll conducted by Ragnar Research. And it was uh, provided for the NRSC, the National Republican Senatorial Committee. Now, everybody knows that the control of the Senate will depend on a handful of races. Uh, Maryland has not been one of them. Maryland is a very, very democratic state. Uh, 
But there's one Republican named Larry Hogan, who's done incredibly well as a two-term governor, won two landslides in Maryland. He left Maryland with a uh, approval rating as governor of over 70%. And he's now running for Senate. And the poll shows that uh, with Larry Hogan as the Republican candidate uh, running against the two top Democrats in the, va- in the race, Larry Hogan, the Republican, is winning big. And very, very well, as President Trump would put it, bigly uh, against uh, Representative David Trone. Hogan was ahead 49 to 33 and uh, running against Angela also Brooks, uh, who is the county executive of Prince George's County. Uh, Listen to this. Larry Hogan is ahead of 52 to 29. I mean, these are, are wipeouts. And and by the way, if the Republicans capture the state of Maryland, it is almost a done deal because there's uh, West Virginia, very Republican state where Joe Manchin, uh, who is a Democrat, is going to be replaced uh, by uh, a Republican, almost surely Jim Justice, the governor. I mean, this is incredible stuff. Also incredible, a uh, message to Nikki Haley. In fact, it's listed as a note to Nikki. Keep on keeping on is the heading. Uh, The note is from Bill Kristol, who uh, is uh, the former publisher-editor of The Standard. He was chief of staff to Dan Quayle, uh, Vice President of the United States, who deserves more respect than uh, uh, than he gets now. He is now with the Bulwark, uh, and uh, this was uh, appeared in the Bulwark. It begins very simply, she's getting under their skin. Yesterday in South Carolina, Nikki Haley said, I have no need to kiss the ring, and I have no fear of Trump's retribution. I'm not looking for anything from him. The reaction of Trump's spokesperson to this was too vulgar to be quoted in a tasteful morning missive like this one. Uh, It was something about kissing something else. Um, This was just one of countless instances of creepy Trumpist misogynists lashing out at Nikki Haley. And while one knows the... uh, these gross comments further pollute our political discourse, one has to welcome them. The more close-up voters see of Trumpist garbage, the more offensive Trump and his followers are to Haley, and and the more Trumpists alienate those Republicans and independents who respect Haley, the less these individuals are to, less likely these individuals are to end up supporting Trump in the general election. Trump and the Trumpists are annoyed. They feel entitled. After all, no Republican, and this is amazing when you think about it, no Republican has been nominated for president in 12 years. No other Republican other than Donald Trump. And no other Republican has been elected president in 20 years. Who was Nikki Haley to get in the orange man's way? But there she is in the way. An annoyance. Someone who will not kiss the ring. Haley is very unlikely to defeat Trump, but she's won about 40% to Trump's 60% of their combined primary votes so far. 
And the polls in South Carolina suggest she'll be in the 35% range there as well. If Haley can keep getting a respectable share, a respectable share of the vote against Trump, if she can perhaps even win a couple of primaries of the 16 on Super Tuesday, hey, fellow Virginians, time to step up, says uh, uh, Bill Crystal. She can keep going which will increase the number of Americans who will hear her increasingly strong and trenchant criticisms of Trump, who will observe the disgusting behavior of Trumpists and Trump in response, and who will recoil from Trump in November. Uh, Haley's political career has had uh, its more and less admirable moments, but what she is doing now is far, far better thing than she has ever done. Before. Uh, that's a reference, of course, to Dickens' Tale of Two Cities, the last words of uh, the hero, Sidney Carton, who is sacrificing his life. It, it is a far, far better thing that I have never, ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I have ever gone to. He's about to get beheaded. I, I don't think William Crystal is suggesting. Uh, that Nikki Haley is about to get uh, beheaded. But uh, he is suggesting that uh, for those people who simply refuse to accept the idea that the only choice for President of the United States is Donald Trump or Joe Biden, both of whom are such flawed candidates, that's a, uh, a, a, a real necessity having at least some other alternative in mind. Uh, Joe Manchin has some advice on Fox News with Neil Cavuto, advice that he gave to Joe Biden. That's fairly pressing advice. Uh, Listen, this is clip eight. So it sounds like you would be open to a no-labels candidate to vote for. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm open to whatever we put forward that has a chance of taking and bringing our country back together. Right now, I don't see it. And I'm hoping Joe Biden would come back to what he said he was in 2020, the person I've known forever, and be more centrist, center-left maybe, but center. But he's not. He's uh, not Rather doing than going it. so he's far to the left. Well, you better hurry up. Uh, yeah, he had better hurry up. He's right. And then uh, this on the border crisis, also from Joe Manchin, clip nine. First of all, the border the crisis that we have are Joe Biden's fault. Starting from day one, I disagreed. And we've been arguing about this back and forth. I think then in in defense of Joe Biden, their discussion and their basically uh, explanation is that the world was in a flux after the pandemic. A lot of people were hurting around the world. We wanted to make sure we could help as many as humanly possible. And the border was overrun, unbelievably overrun. And then the catch and release is horrible. So they've waited too long, but now they've come to the table to fix a horrific problem that we have. And saying that we have to wait another 10 months for the politics to be right for somebody is wrong. That's as wrong, if not worse, as what getting to this position. So we have a chance to fix it. We should fix it as quickly as possible. And I'm hoping that good-minded people will come together. We have the ability to fix it, Democrats and Republicans working together. And I think that he's right, and that's an important message. And wouldn't it be terrific if President Trump picked up that message rather than wanting to preserve immigration as an issue, a problem? Speaking of an issue, a problem, 
Is Arizona really trying to keep the AZ in the word crazy? Uh, a new bill to give the legislature absolute power coming up on the MedVet Show. Here's a special discount, 50% off just for being a MedHead annual member. Join today at michaelmedved.com. And on the uh, Michael Medved show, uh, there is a, uh, a lot of talk about a new piece of legislation uh, being introduced into the state Senate in Arizona. And uh, the article about the bill uh, describes it as a disturbing bill. It, it's not a disturbing bill as much as it is an outrageous bill. Uh, what it does is it takes the worst fears that people have about the MAGA movement and actually makes them seem very pressing and very real uh, the way it's covered in the Daily Beast. It says, an Arizona lawmaker who signed on to be a fake elector for Donald Trump after the former president lost his bid for a second term has introduced a new bill that would allow members of the state legislature to overturn future election results that they don't like. The bill, formerly known as Senate Concurrent Resolution 1014, and sponsored by State Senator Anthony Kern, uh, seems to bypass the popular vote altogether. And it is the responsibility of the Arizona Secretary of State to certify elections, including elections for President of the United States. But the sole authority to appoint presidential electors is granted to the legislature. The brief bill reads, Therefore, it concludes, the legislature and no other official shall appoint presidential electors in accordance with the United States Constitution. Uh, know what the Constitution suggests and what we've always had in, in every state in the country is that the voters, not the legislature, get to pick the electors. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> there's been a certain amount of... Uh, uh, indignation about this bill. And the, the reason the indignation is there is there are, are states in the union that uh, are one party controlled, basically, in the state legislature. And that's the case in Arizona. But it, it, by the way, it could very easily be shifting. I mean, right now they have a, a Democratic governor, Katie Hobbs, and increasing Democratic representation in the state legislature, so it may not be just a Republican power grab. But uh, Sam Paisley, who is the national press secretary for the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, uh, said in a statement, since 2020, we've seen hundreds of Republican legislators across the country willing to support efforts to challenge and overturn election results. But this latest attempt to remove the will of the people from the presidential selection process is one of the gravest threats to democracy we've yet seen. 
uh, take it easy, guy, because they're not going to pass this in Arizona. They then provide some background about Senator Kern, and uh, what it says is uh, Anthony Kern, uh, in his official bio, said he had a heartfelt desire to serve in the military during Desert Storm, but being a single dad and raising two sons at that time, he was unable to. He has a degree in business administration. He is self-employed. He believes in entrepreneurs and owed a private investigation business, sick. It goes on noting that he has been involved in the Block Watch program and started the City of Phoenix Employees for Christ organization in 1995. In any event, he was also part of the crowd on January 6, 2021. Uh, <laughs> he was not arrested because he didn't actually go into the building but he was there as part of the MAGA crowd. Uh, Paisley, who is from the Democratic side, uh, described Arizona's Republican caucus as a hotbed of MAGA extremism, and Kern has made no secret of his affinity for the cause. He attended the January 16th, 2021 Stop the Steal rally and subsequent Capitol riot. Yeah, let's go to a riot although he has not been accused of entering the building itself and allegedly used campaign cash to fund his trip. Uh, Okay, Uh, this is um, uh, not likely to occur, but it is an absolutely terrible idea. In other words, one of the things that is uh, difficult in America is trying to sustain this idea that it's not going to be political manipulators who are in elected offices uh, who determine the outcome of the most important elections we have. Um, There is uh, uh, this rally also. We're talking about the story yesterday about the U.S. veto. Uh, And I mentioned what I think was an unfair coverage of this by the New York Times. Uh, The New York Times has a front-page headline U.S. stands alone in rejecting call for Gaza truce. U.N. resolution vetoed. Says move could disrupt negotiations to free Israeli hostages. Uh, The United States on Tuesday cast the sole vote against a United Nations Security Council resolution that would have called for an immediate ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, saying... uh, it feared it could not disrupt hostage uh, negotiations. It was the third time Washington uh, wielded its veto to block a resolution demanding a stop to fighting in Gaza, underlining American isolation in its uh, continued forced, uh, forceful backing of Israel. And uh, by the way, Emphasizing American isolation, the reality here is that the United States, despite the New York Times coverage, did introduce its own resolution, which called for a temporary ceasefire that uh, would come into existence to allow return of the hostages. But the difficulty with the Algerian ceasefire resolution was that 
it was an attempt to uh, uh, to basically declare an end to the war. The ceasefire they were talking about was not temporary at all. It was permanent and and frankly devastating in in terms of its impact on uh, uh, the war and Israel's attempt to try to achieve its goal of security. Um, Israel is building a road bisecting Gaza in next phase of war. This sounds like a horror. They're building a road. This is the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Tel Aviv, the Israeli army is expanding a road across central Gaza to facilitate its military operations, part of its plans to maintain security control over the enclave for some time, uh, defense officials said. The gravel-paved road is one of a number of Israeli efforts to reshape the topography of the Gaza Strip and to give its military freedom of movement and a tighter grasp on the territory that was uh, the launch pad for the October 7th attack that killed about 1,200 people in southern Israel and sparked the current conflict. Okay, the, the point about this is that uh, when they say they give them a tighter grasp over Gaza, they've had no grasp over Gaza. Obviously, that grasp didn't exist on October 7th or October 7th wouldn't have happened. Uh, this new road will allow Israel's military to continue to move quickly across the enclave uh, along a secure route, even after most troops have pulled out. The Israeli military already controls major north-south roads in Gaza. Uh, the road forms part of the emerging picture of how the Israeli army is preparing for the next stage of war when it plans to withdraw from populated areas and concentrate on targeted raids against Hamas, a U.S.-designated terrorist group. The building and expansion of the road comes as the Israeli military is also building a roughly uh, six-tenths of a mile buffer uh, zone inside Gaza's border with Israel where Palestinians would be barred from entry. In other words, what the Israelis are announcing has very clearly, as they have said before, they are not planning a permanent occupation of Gaza of any kind. They withdrew from Gaza in 2005, and they're going to continue that withdrawal. But they're going to do so with some security guarantees that make disasters like the atrocities of October 7th impossible. And God bless uh, the United States for supporting this common sense approach by this greatest nation on God's green earth.